Friday, which we call good. And yet, the events that take place this day do not seem good at all. And yet, we are reminded over and over again, throughout the Word of God, of the Lord's tremendous love for us and the motivation for why He did what He did. This afternoon, I would like to share with you some words from Cardinal Sarah regarding the person of Judas. Judas was called by Jesus Christ, like all the other apostles. Jesus loved him. He had sent him to proclaim the good news. But little by little, doubt had taken hold of Judas's heart. Imperceptibly, he st started to judge the teaching of Jesus. He told himself, Jesus is too demanding, not very effective. Judas wanted to make the kingdom of God come to earth right away, by human means and according to his personal plans. However, he had heard Jesus tell him, your thoughts are not my thoughts, your ways are not my ways. Despite everything, Judas distanced himself. He no longer listened to Christ. He no longer accompanied him during those long nights of silence and prayer. Judas took refuge in worldly affairs. He busied himself with the purse, money, and commerce. The liar continued to follow Christ, but he no longer believed. He murmured. On Holy Thursday, the Master washed his feet. His heart must have been quite hardened for he was not moved. The Lord was there in front of him on his knees, a humble servant, washing the feet of the one who was to hand him over. Jesus looked at him one last time, his eyes full of kindness and mercy. But the devil had already entered into Judas's heart. He did not lower his eyes. Interiorly, he must have pronounced the ancient words of the rebellion, I will not serve. During the Last Supper, he took communion, even though his plan was set. And he betrayed him. For all eternity, Judas is known as the traitor, and a shadow hangs over his name to this very day. Yet like him, we have betrayed. We have abandoned prayer. The evil and the efficient of doing good has infiltrated everywhere the first point of praying before we act. We say that we have no time to waste. We want to use this time for our useful social advantages, our useful helping the less fortunate, the, the allowing ourselves to help those to feel good about ourselves. And yet, when we do so, like Judas, 
We compromise with the world. We compromise with the world wisdom. We compromise with the way the world dictates we should do things. Not as Jesus says, which might be, which might be more challenging, which might be less understanding to this world. And so, my brothers and sisters, we betray the Lord. Someone who no longer prays betrays the Lord already. And he is willing, to, and she is willing to make all sorts of compromises with the world. And the world tells us we need to tolerate it. The world tells us we need to advance the teachings of Christ. The world tells us we must bring the teachings of the church back up into modern times. And yet, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I'm going live stream, as you see, so I have to be cautious with my words. Maybe. <laughs> last year, as I mentioned last night, the deacon, myself, Kevin with music, and our videographer were present in this big church, locked down, locked down by the decisions of the bishops, a decision which compromised the teachings of the church and the worship of God with a worldly standard. They betrayed our Lord. Yes, I said it. They betrayed our Lord. Amen. They allowed a panic and a fear which prevailed the world who does not believe and have hope in the promise of the resurrection. They allowed that thought and that fear to overwhelm even in the church. The church which has no fear in the sight and in the face of evil or death. In a few moments, we will venerate the Holy Cross in which Jesus himself transformed death into life. Every Good Friday, we gather to do this. Every Sunday, we gather around this altar to proclaim that Jesus Christ is alive and not dead. That Good Friday was not the end of the story. But Easter Sunday is the reality and the fulfillment of the promise. And yet, my brothers and sisters, we betray the Lord. We betray the Lord when we allow the world to dictate to you and me as believers how to live. That is reality. And sadly, our leadership has caved in at this point. But it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us because at the Last Supper, the first bishops were present. Those first leaders of the church that Jesus himself called and loved. You had Judas, who we just reflected upon. And then you had Peter, good old Peter, impetuous Peter. Peter who likes to spout his mouth before thinking or acting. And so not only would he not want Jesus to wash his feet last night at the Last Supper, as we were reminded in the Word of God, 
Not only did he not want that to take place, but he stood and prophetically announced he would never betray the Lord. He would rather die than, than, than to deny his master, his savior, the Messiah. Well, what happened in a few hours? What happened as we heard in the word of God this, morning, this afternoon? What happened to that vibrato that, Jesus, that, that Peter had, that boldly courage that he possessed? He would never deny the Lord. Before the cock crowed three times, he denied him. And not to mention that all the rest of the apostles, where were they? They also scattered. They also fled. Why? Fear. Fear, fear, fear. It is fear which is the weapon of the devil. It is fear which enables the devil to get control over you and me. Fearful of what other people will think. Fearful of what other people will say about me. Fearful of what doing what the Lord wants me to do will cost me in my everyday life. Fear is the instrument of the devil. And that is why Jesus tells us, be not afraid. Be not afraid. Fear is useless. It is faith that I require. Sixteen years ago today, our beloved Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, was called home to Almighty God. A man who spent his life in missionary journeys, going to country after country after country, with the same message to the people of God, be not afraid. The beauty of the internet, the goodness of the internet, enables you and I to go back in time, to look at the four times he visited this country, to look at any other country he visited, and to read and to see what he said in each of those countries. As he said to us, and as he said to all those around the world, his message was always the same. Be not afraid of what the world can throw at you, because Jesus Christ has conquered. Jesus Christ has conquered. My brothers and sisters, do we accept and do we believe that? We say it. Yes, we all say it. But do we really believe it? And if we believe it, how do you and I live it without betraying the reality of what those words mean? The reality of those words mean is that we recognize that we are in this world but not of this world. We recognize we do not belong to this world alone, but we belong to a greater world, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, in which lasts forever. This world is passing, and the blessings we get in this world is wonderful and great. The sorrows in which we experience are tragic and, very, and, and hurtful at times. But this is all passing. Even if you live to be 110 years old, that cannot compare to eternity with God, the angels, and the saints. This day, my brothers and sisters, this Friday, which we call good, demands of you and me a decision, a choice, 
because there's another figure we reflect upon this afternoon, and that is the figure of Pilate. Pilate, that time-serving politician, that man who desired to keep the control that he had, his political, his political power, and tried and tried and tried to not have to put Jesus to death. He sent him to Herod, he, got, he came back, he went to the high priest, and he got sent back, and again coming up to him. And even though he says he washes his hands of innocent blood, it was Pilate who ultimately made the decision. It is Pilate who chose to allow this innocent man to be put to death. How outrageous is that? Because he not only, he not only believes that he's an innocent man in his thinking, he, uh, he states it as he washes his hands of innocent blood, and yet he still permits Jesus to be put to death. And so Pilate, as his last straw, trying to work with other politicians, Herod, trying to work with religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, as his last straw, he goes to the people. He goes to the people and says, who do you want me to release, Jesus or Barabbas? Believing in his heart of heart, Jesus, who has done nothing wrong, and Barabbas, who started an insurrection and killed someone, they would call for Jesus to be released. And yet, he calls for, they call for Barabbas. They call for Barabbas to be released and Jesus to be crucified. The question that Pilate puts before Israel 2,000 years ago is a question that he also puts to you and me to be answered, to be answered by us to this day. Christ becomes, comes before the tribunal. Christ stands on the judgment seat before us. And he comes to us with virtue, with honesty and purity. Barabbas also stands before us as vice, dishonesty, and uncleanness. And as often as we choose to act contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, as, God, as often as we act in the way contrary to the life in which Jesus set forth for us, we call for Barabbas to be released, and we stay crucify him. Reflecting upon that, not just on Good Friday, but every day, is a powerful examination of conscience. Because as we were reminded last night, that Jesus, after the Last Supper, goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and takes upon the sins of the whole entire universe. 
So stressful was that reality that he sweats blood, the anguish in which that caused. Every single sin that you and I will commit in this lifetime, Jesus took upon himself, took upon himself so that we might be forgiven, that we might be able to walk in his love and mercy. Yet, my dear friends, the tragedy, the tragedy which we reflect upon today and every day is how often you and I are incapable of accepting that mercy and forgiveness and love of God. When we refuse to accept the loving mercy and forgiveness of God, we too betray our Lord. We deny what Jesus did on this day. But we do not accept his forgiveness. The fact that there are people in this world, people who call themselves Christians and Catholics, cannot open themselves to accept the forgiveness of God is a tragedy, is the greatest tragedy in all the earth. Because Jesus came that we might be set free from our sin, that we might live in the new creation as his children, and that we may walk in the glory of God. As Jesus is nailed to the cross, he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's a very realistic statement when it comes to the Roman soldiers, when it comes to Roman Empire. They were not Jewish, they were not Israel, they were not part of the covenant. They didn't have the prophets to tell them what to expect and prepare for. They didn't have all the clues given to them. And so calling for their forgiveness also would be understandable. But that forgiveness, that cry of forgiveness, was not just to those soldiers who were nailing those stakes into his hands and feet. But that call of forgiveness was a call and a cry that went out throughout the whole entire universe. From that day past, from that day future, to this very day, that cry goes out to the Lord, to the, our Heavenly Father. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you and I, my brothers and sisters, should know better. Like Israel, we should have known better. Three years, those apostles spent their whole entire time with Jesus. They heard what he had to say. They saw what he, how he acted and what he did. They witnessed those miracles. And yet, they all abandoned him, except the one teenager, John the Beloved. And you could argue, as a teenager, he really didn't understand the stakes. 
Because how often do our teenagers take risks? They don't realize the child that death is a possibility. They don't realize there's consequences to actions. And so John was there. But the others, the adults, the mature ones, where were they? They were hiding. They were in fear of their own lives. And so, for, and for that, and Jesus realized this at the Last Supper. Jesus realized this, as we recalled last night, he realized how, how far away they were from what he was doing. And as I mentioned last night, you can tell that I wasn't Jesus, because I would have just packed my bag and left, and said, forget it. They're, not, they're, they're the ones who should be with me and know what's going on, and they don't know it, and I'm going to go to my death for them and for the whole entire world? I don't think so. Father, thanks for the opportunity, but I'm, I'm caving in. I'm out to dodge. I'm out of here. And so the marvel, the thing that causes, that causes our brains to explode, is the fact that he still did it. He still went to the cross for not just those dipsticks, but for you and me. And we are just as guilty. We are just as guilty of not being on the right page. We are just guilty of trying to manipulate the truth to fit our image and likeness, and not the image and likeness of God, and not the truth that has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ, as reported in sacred scripture and handed on by the teaching church. There is a lot of blame to go along and to go around on this day when we reflect upon the, the loving act of our God. But you and I do not wallow in the self-pity and the blame of our sin. We are accountable for it, but as we are accountable to our sinfulness, we recognize what this has done for you and me. Jesus Christ not only took upon himself every transgression that you and I and the world will ever commit, but he also took upon himself the very existence of death, death which entered the picture in a garden 5,000 years before Jesus comes onto the earth. And in this new garden, in this new tree of life, the Lord Jesus takes death on, defeats it, and transforms it into everlasting life. Do not allow this act of love to move beyond our ability to grasp it. We grasp the reality of the crucifixion when we experience and we allow ourselves to be forgiven by a merciful and loving God. When we allow ourselves and we accept the Lord's mercy and his forgiveness and his love into our very existence, not fully understanding why or how he can love and forgive me 
in all of my sinfulness, but allowing myself to be loved and forgiven by God so that I and you may become living witnesses of the love, the mercy, and the forgiveness of God. If God can forgive me for what I have done against the all-powerful and almighty, then how can I not forgive those who have sinned against me? The figure of Judas is looking better and better all the time. We don't like that. It doesn't make sense to us. That's not our way of doing it. Someone sins against me, I get revenge, I get even, I get back. I don't associate with them. I don't talk to them. I don't think about them. But Jesus tells us, you don't have to go out to dinner with them, but you have to think about them, you have to pray for them, and you have to forgive them. Because I forgave you. Tall order. Challenging order. But what we celebrate, yeah, yes, celebrate on this day. What we celebrate is not just God's love and forgiveness, but through the cross, you and I get to participate in the divine life of God, which the church calls grace. We receive that grace into our hearts and to our life, into our lives, which enables you and I to live not just for ourselves, but to live as God calls us to live. So therefore, as the story began, back on the Annunciation, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and says her that she is going to bear a son, whose name will be Jesus, which means God saves us. And in that, in that reality of Mary becoming pregnant when she is not yet married or, or with a man, the angel gives the announcement that nothing is impossible for God. On this Friday, we call good the seemingly destruction of the Messiah, the Son of God, as he hangs on that cross and breathes his last. The world tells us the end. Story's over. But those words of the angel Gabriel echo in our heart and in our mind as it had done in our Blessed Mother, for nothing is impossible for God. And in three days, this impossibility of a dying man rises to new life, and in so doing, shares with you and me that ability of eternal life with God, the angels, and the saints. Let us recommit ourselves to a knowledge of the kingdom of God. Let us live for that kingdom here and now so that we may experience the fulfillment of it when we are called home by the Lord himself, so that we may worship him with the angels and the saints and for all eternity with our God and his Son, Jesus Christ, 
who died for our offenses. Praise be Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.